Good morning. Happy Sunday. We are glad you're here with us to worship today. Um, we had a super fun event at church this week, main event. So we'll talk more about that in a second. Yes, you can clap for that. It was a big thing. I'm excited. We also have some more things happening this week. Um, so we have, if you are a elementary age-ish family, we are having a family movie night tomorrow night. So if you want to come up at 5.30 and the movie will start at 6, we're going to be out on the patio and we're watching Tangled. There will be some um, snacks, but you are welcome to bring your own dinner. We'll just be sitting on blankets outside watching the movie, so please invite friends to come with you, and there's no need to RSVP. Just meet us on the patio, and we will see you then. Um, if you are joining us in here, again, welcome. If you're watching online at home, um, we're glad that you're spending your morning with us. If you're out on the patio, we're happy that you're here. And if anybody is new, we would love to meet you, say hi, answer any questions you have, and give you a gift. So if you will come to one of the connection counters, they're by both doors in the lobby. There's one out on the patio, and just tell us that it's your first time. Okay, so I told you we had main event this week. Um, this is my oldest, and she was one of the kiddos at main event. Um, so what was your favorite part of main event? The crafts. I paid her to say that because I did crafts. Um, <laughs> but she did really like it. Um, okay, so as we get ready to worship, if you will just stand up. And one of the things the kids learned this week is that God has a plan for them through all the trials of life. So turn to someone near you and just tell them, God has a plan for you. Yes, uh, to get the kids on, to get the kids on is what I...
are very excited to come in and help lead worship. We are so thankful for all of our volunteers that helped. We had over 200 volunteers over here. We had on Friday on campus, we had up to almost 600 kids here. I was like running in, it was like five good high fives. So it was amazing. It was, the energy was crazy. The place was a mess, but it was so much fun. <laughs> so we just have a fun recap video that we want to show you guys. So to go ahead and take a seat for a second.
about God is that he changed Paul's life. He's like a higher master and that he knows about us and he knows our name even if we don't tell it. He can change your life. They love you a lot. If you get baptized and you believe in Jesus, you could be born again. Just like John 3, 5 says, God's love is bigger than we can imagine. We could just keep on counting everything that we have every single day. My favorite part about this week is in the beginning, they start talking about Bible verses. I like My favorite thing is making slime. Doing the slime in that crowd. I chose the harbor training. We got to learn about Jesus. continue in our time of worship, and we're going to ask you guys to stand up this morning and uh, just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so blessed. Are you blessed? I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Birthday. Every day's a good day. Now let me tell you why. If you got air in your lungs, if you got blood in your body, you are a child of God. Come on and sing it, somebody. Cause on my best day, I'm a child of God. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. Oh, every day is a good day. Yeah. 
round of applause. Will you do me a favor? Will you, uh, will you pray with me really quick over these kids and all the kids here at New Life and in our community? Let's pray for them because we sure do appreciate all that they do and all of the effort, and so we love them. So, Lord, we just thank you for each child here, each child who walks on this campus, each child in our community, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that these children, that every one of these lives, Lord, would know you and call you by name and call you Lord. Father, we just thank you for each one here, for each parent, each grandparent, each person here today, Lord, who is pouring into these kids, each volunteer. And Lord, we just pray that all that was planted in their lives, everything that they heard, your word, every seed, Lord, would be watered by you, would be continued to grow and to be flourished, Lord, until they have a life of their own, Lord, where they walk and they declare you, Lord. And so we give each one of these kids to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we're going to uh, continue our time of worship. I'm going to ask the ushers if you guys can come forward. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings. And, you know, this is an incredible time where we continue to worship. And as the baskets are going around, one of the things I would like to just highlight about Main Event is each year they do a missions project. And so the last few years they have done their missions project in which kids are uh, challenged to bring food to the pantry. So one of the things you could do this morning to see what they did and how they blessed the pantry ministry is to go out here, and when you go out the door and go to the right, you'll see a whole, what we call the surf shack. And each week, or each day, the kids were challenged to bring breakfast foods. Now, the reason why we chose breakfast foods is because in the summertime, um, kids usually get free lunch and free breakfast during the school year, but during the summer, that is a lot more difficult for kids to receive. And breakfast foods, as you all know, are super expensive and hard to come by. And so we challenge the kids with all of this that you see on the screen. We asked them, can you bring 2,000 of these items in? And they actually exceeded it and brought in over 2,200 items. And so what we're going to do is not only are we collecting this to distribute through the pantry, but we have two outreaches coming up, one for Lucy Mar School District right before school starts, where we're going to help uh, distribute food to the students and families in need as they also receive school supplies from the school district. And then we are also going to Guadalupe to go out there to bless about 130, about 300 children, uh, 130 families for them to get started and get their school year going by giving them school supplies. And so what I want to do is just thank you guys for your generosity, for your time time for pouring into the kids for adding to what these children have already started and so I just thank you for that because we are making an impact in our community we are loving people where they are at and we are loving them through just being acts of service and just giving away the things that some comes easier to some of us and so I just want to say thank you for that so this morning I need to catch my breath sorry <laughs> so this morning we are going to dive back into God's word so if you can prepare your mind and your hearts and uh, watch this video Stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way 
to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. Well, good morning, New Life. Yeah, you guys sound a little bit like the kids did throughout this week. And uh, hey, if you smell a little bit of um, sweat in the air, yeah, we had 500 plus kids in here throughout the week. It was awesome. It was great. And, uh, and if you see uh, some people either in this shirt or you see people, um, and I give you permission right now, if you volunteer, not if you didn't volunteer this week, but if you volunteer this week, you have permission to sleep through this entire message. Like... <laughs> I, I mean, I'll tell you what, they gave everything. They showed up, our volunteers showed up, and can we just celebrate them one more time? Our volunteers did such an awesome job. It was absolutely incredible. I mean, so many really cool stories coming out of main event this week and people, kids who received Jesus for the, you know, for the very first time just accepted him into their life and, and made him Lord of their life. And how cool is that? Um, we also just had families that drove from all over. In fact, uh, friends of mine um, who are uh, on Vandenberg base drove every day 40 miles to bring their kids here. Uh, round, round trip, you know, think about that for a moment, the gas and all that. And and uh, I saw Mary uh, every single day she came in, just getting here just in time for it to start. And I'm like, I can't believe you're doing this every single day. She's, she's like, they won't let me not be here. They are waking me up. They are ready to go. And uh, man, so much work, not only just this week, but man, starting months ago in preparation for this past week. And it's just so neat to be a part of what God is doing here. So I thought we'd do something maybe a little bit different. Um, we're in this series on the parables, and one of the things that is unique about the parables is Jesus so often told them, not in a reading sense, there was no scripture for everybody to turn to, but in a hearing sense. Um, he wanted them to hear it, and in some ways, as they heard it, visualize it. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do. It may be difficult, because we are such a visual culture now, for you to have your eyes open. So if you need to, close your eyes so that you're not distracted. But I don't want you to open up the passage yet. We'll have it on the screen if you do want to follow, about, follow along with it because you just need to. Um, but, uh, but what I want you to do is to hear this parable, to hear this story as if we were in that crowd and we were listening in to Jesus telling it for the very first time. All right? So go ahead and either close your eyes or just focus in and hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said... There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At, this, at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died 
and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. And the rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and to cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. So now he, and besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. And I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we come to the table to receive the spiritual food that you have for us. God, as you called so many to throughout your ministry, may we have ears to hear. May we have eyes to see the kingdom in fresh and new ways. And may we have hearts to receive. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So if you remember what I said at the beginning of this particular series, Parables aren't nice, warm, fuzzy stories, right? They're, they're actually talked about or, or shared to challenge us, to help us understand spiritual things. And so there's one of the ways that we're gonna break down today's parable is in three different parts. We're gonna ask ourselves several, um, kind of three different sections. What this parable is not about, what it is about, and how or why it challenges us. And so let's begin here. What is it not about? First of all, we know from uh, not only how Jesus teaches, but also throughout uh, just scholarship and things of that nature, that this is not a historical telling of a story. In fact, we know that it's a parable by the way that it starts out and also the parables that surround it. In fact, if you go back in the passage, if you go back to even chapter 15, Jesus is telling a series of parables within the gospel of Luke. And so uh, we know Know that when he begins talking about a woman and he tells the story of the parable of the lost coin, he says a man and he goes on to tell the story of the parable of the lost son. Later on, he says that there was a rich man in Luke chapter 16, verse one, and goes on to tell a parable setting up this parable where he says a certain rich man. Now, all of that is important because those are kind of these um, literary genre clues that let us know that this is a particular parable. It's like if I would say in our culture, in a galaxy far, far away, right? You would know that what comes after that is a 
parable of sorts, right? And one of the things that's interesting is that most scholars believe, and they have extra um, biblical material, meaning uh, material that's not in the Bible, um, but is other historical documents of that particular day, evidence that this story was told and circulated through a variety of different faith backgrounds and traditions, and Jesus, in some ways, hijacks a very popular story and gives it a Jewish bent on it. And that would be no different than, again, as you have conversations about um, maybe uh, a galaxy far, far away, and you begin to pick out, hey, there's some spiritual nuance here that sounds very similar to what we hear in the Bible, or what C.S. Lewis does in the Chronicles of Narnia, and you start to go, hey, you know what, there's spiritual application here, but here's where we have to be careful. When we have a parable, there is a point to the parable, but not all the points in the parable are valid. Does that make sense? So there's a point to the parable, but not all the points in the parable are actually valid. It's the telling of the story that leads to a particular point, and sometimes we get into this issue where we're breaking it down too far. So for example, uh, many people, when they read this parable, are looking to it to talk about the afterlife, but it's not about the afterlife. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. So let's talk about this for a moment. There's a nursery rhyme, right? It goes like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great... All the... And all the... Couldn't put... Awesome. So there's a point to that particular nursery rhyme that wants to be taught, right? But if you start breaking down that nursery rhyme too much, it loses something. For example, how many people, when you said that nursery rhyme just now, you had a picture of what Humpty looked like? And Humpty had a face. Did Humpty have legs? Did Humpty have arms? Okay. So, and, and then when Humpty fell off the wall and he broke something, did something spill out of Humpty? Right? Like there, there was like, was there yolk everywhere? Like, like what actually happened, right? And, and so each time you're kind of thinking through like the different components and you're starting to take it a little bit too far. And, and what happens is you begin to lose it. Like how many people actually thought this? How in the world did the horses help? <laughs> like have you ever thought, like have you ever thought like what, they had their hooves and they helped? Like, like how did, so what happens is we can actually take something that has a point, and when we break it down too much in the story factor, all of a sudden we lose the point because we're all focused on all the points. And so in this parable, what has happened at times is that people have wanted to break down all the points and they've missed the point. Because some of us have been in Bible studies where it got derailed and they're like, hey, how far do you think that chasm is between heaven and hell? Do you think we'll really be able to talk to each other back and forth? How does this look? What does this look like? And so this is not, what this is not is it's not video footage of what the afterlife will look like. That was not Jesus' intent in this 
particular parable. There's other places where he begins to unpack kind of what it means in the afterlife. There's other places in the Bible that we can pick up evidence of what happens in eternity. But this is not one of those parables that we break down in that particular way. In fact, Jesus doesn't even use the word for hell here. He actually uses the word Hades, which is the place of the dead. And so we we need to recognize that that this is, again, uh, a story that probably was being circulated around that Jesus hijacks for the purpose of preaching a new principle for those who are uh, Jewish people, for those specifically who are starting to follow him. Some people will say, man, what about the torment? What about the fire? Is it really gonna be that bad? And I kind of look at them and say, no, it's probably gonna be worse. Like, you know, like, like, like that's, how we, that's how we start to break down these types of things and we kind of get all frustrated with it. So beginning this parable, we need to understand what it's not about. So if it's not about uh, those things, what is it about? The parable is about judgment. It may not tell us specifically the how, but it does tell us that there will be judgment. And any theology that removes judgment from, uh, from God's understanding removes a significant part of what God teaches us and what he cautions us with and what he warns us. And this is very much a parable that has a warning. It's a parable that reminds us that there is a gate separating the rich man and the poor man, Lazarus, right? There's a gate that's separating, a very minimal barrier. But if you do not heed the warning of what God is teaching us, then all of a sudden there won't just be a gate, there will be a chasm of difference for where we will spend eternity. And so while there might be a minimal gate in this world, there will be a chasm of eternity separating us. We know that Jesus is also uh, warning us. We don't like stories of warning, but stories of warning are really important. In fact, if you go back to um, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is talking about wealth and riches once again, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he uses this word, woe. Turn to somebody next to you and say, "Whoa." whoa. That's not the type of woe that he was saying. We think of like, whoa, Nelly, that's not what we were doing. It is, whoa, caution, warning, be careful. That's what Jesus was speaking about. And when they heard his words, they were indignant. They were frustrated. They were living with some false assumptions and they didn't want to be corrected. What it's also about are names. Names are significant in this particular parable. And so you have a name that is given named Lazarus. Did you know that it's the only time in a parable where a proper name is given? That name Lazarus in the Greek is named, is in the Hebrew Eleazar, which means God is helped or God helps or And so you have this individual, Lazarus, that is named, a poor man is named that says, God is help to this poor man. And what's really fascinating is that in this parable, you have Lazarus who is given a name, who is the poor man laying outside of this rich man's gate. 
And the rich man is not given a proper name. The one with wealth, the one with prestige, the one with the house, the one with the fine clothes, the one with the food is lost. His proper name is lost in obscurity to history. Think about that for a moment. The one who is poor is elevated. The one who is rich is lost to obscurity in history. What's also fascinating is that this poor man, Lazarus, is also recognized by the rich man and calls him by name when they are on opposite sides of that chasm. He didn't see him when he was by the gate, and yet he knew his name. He also knew Abraham's name. Which, he, which means that he knew the tradition of Abraham and the tradition of the Jewish people. And if you go back to the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you have uh, story after story and law after law reminding the people of Israel of their commitment to care for the poor. And yet you have this individual who chose, even though he knew his name, even though he was outside of his gate, chose to ignore this individual. Which takes us to a third point that we see in this parable. Idols. There was a rich man who is how it starts out. And all of a sudden it begins to list the idols. It's confirmed details of self-indulgence, of the focus of this particular rich man. We learned that this rich man had purple clothes. You're like, well, that's no big deal. I like purple all the time, you know? We've got someone sitting in the front row wearing purple. It's great to wear purple. It's not bad. But in this particular day, purple dye was one of the, the most rarest dyes that you could come across. And so anybody who wore purple was seen on the level of royalty or with the wealth of royalty. And, and so we know that this person, uh, within the context of the story, has significant wealth. Not only that, but he has fine linen in addition to the purple. So there's this excess going on. Not only do I want to have, you know, one uh, expensive garment, but I'm going to put on two expensive garments at the same time just to show people that I have wealth. It says that he lived in luxury each day. Some translations talk about how he feasted each day. Why is that detail important? Well, you see, there is an appropriate time to feast as the people of God. In fact, if you go throughout the Old Testament, they celebrate in, in really lavish ways, feasting. They drink and they have food and they have all this kind of stuff, celebrating the mighty acts of God and remembering the mighty acts of God. So feasting periodically is normal, but doing that on a daily basis in excess is what this individual was, was doing. And so the warning that is here, or this rich man was living in such a way that he was wearing multiple fine clothes and feasting and celebrating as if he didn't have a care in the world day after day after day after day. And at his gate, if you've got a gate, you've got some wealth. You've got the ability to keep people out. At his gate was a poor man. Jesus, throughout the scriptures, talks about this tension for individuals of wealth. Where do they find themselves? 
In chapter six, um, in, I'm sorry, um, in chapter six, verse 14, it says, no one can serve two masters. And it says that when the Pharisees heard this, they sneered at Jesus. It says you will either serve God or money or wealth. You cannot serve I was having a conversation with some of my uh, friends that I've met at Vandenberg Space Force Base, and we were having a conversation about, um, about what it, like, miracles in America. And, and we were like, yeah, you know, why is it that you hear about these miracles happening all around the world, but it seems like when it comes to America, you actually hear about less miracles taking place. And maybe you've had the same type of conversation with your friends or even within you uh, internally. And man, it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, uh, probably because I I was preparing for this particular message and he gave me pause. He said, David, you aren't recognizing something. He said, Jesus specifically said that it's more difficult for a rich man to make it into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Therefore, within our culture, Whenever somebody chooses to surrender their life to Jesus and surrender their wealth to Jesus and surrender the things of this particular culture to Jesus, to surrender excess to Jesus and to follow after him, that is miraculous. Every single time that someone says, you know what? I'm gonna make Jesus Lord, not all my wealth Lord. I'm gonna make Jesus Lord, not my house Lord. I'm gonna make Jesus Lord, not my vehicles Lord. I'm gonna make Jesus Lord, not my job Lord. And every single time that happens, that is miraculous because what is happening is that is only can take place when there's a movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When someone turns and follows Jesus and instead of embracing consumption and consumerism, lives a life of radical generosity. Powerful. And the reality of the story is, is that quite honestly, the poor simply has fewer idols. I know that sounds like straightforward. I know it sounds even maybe a little bit harsh, but that's one of the warnings that Jesus is telling in this particular parable. And you're like, well, how do, we, how do we kind of begin to define those types of things? Well, one way might be this. There are people within our world that wake up and they, and they ask this question. Can I get something to eat today? Can I have some, something to wear today? Can I have a house to live in? Can I have a vehicle to drive? Can I get a job? And for many people in this world, that is the question they're asking. But there's also another segment of us, and I'll place myself in this category, which we begin our day like this. Which coffee shop will I go to? Which outfit will I wear? Which thing will I grab from the house that I live in? For some people even go so far as which house will we spend the weekend at? Which car will we do? And it's a which question, not a can question. And it's challenging. Another area that we find this parable teaching us about is our blind spots. It says, at his gate lay a poor man, Lazarus. It's easy not to see the poor around us. 
it's easy to become numb to it. Quite honestly, it's easy to get frustrated by it. It's easy to get cynical about it. It's easy to turn a blind eye to it and wish it would all just go away. And yet, we see in this particular parable that when the rich man asks Abraham, go and send Lazarus, go tell others, the story, the parable says, no, I'm not going to send others. And what's fascinating to me is the reason why. Because if you are going to turn a blind eye to the poor, and you, if you are going to turn a blind eye to the under-resourced, and if you're going to turn a blind eye towards those who I taught and said the kingdom of God has come for the poor in spirit, the kingdom of God has come for people like this, if you're going to turn your blind eye to that, not even somebody being raised from the dead, and Jesus is alluding to even his future resurrection at this point, not even somebody being raised from the dead will make an impact. And in fact, you hear people say all the time, well, if I was alive when Jesus was alive and I would have seen him crucified and I would have seen him raised from the dead, then I would have believed. No, you wouldn't. But maybe. But the reality is, is that there were plenty of people who witnessed his crucifixion and plenty of people who witnessed him, uh, his uh, life after the resurrection and plenty of people who witnessed the um, implications of the resurrection and they chose not to believe. Why? Because wealth and comfort and a youthful culture and a culture of excess has a way of sedating us to the things of God. We don't understand the things of God. We don't, it doesn't hit the same way for us. In fact, I was reading Romans chapter eight, verse 23, starting at verse 23 the other day. It says, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us for the foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us a, our full rights and, his adopt, and, and as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, that passage, as I'm studying this passage in Luke, hit me because I'm sitting there going, oh, that's one of the reasons why we find ourselves um, having a difficulty recognizing the things of God and our need for God in a culture of wealth, in a culture of comfort, in a culture of youthfulness. Let me break it down for you this way. When we don't suffer daily, and that's not to say that people who are gathered here today have never suffered. I know some of you have suffered greatly. But when we don't suffer daily, and when we don't suffer for our basic needs, it's easy to think that we don't need God. When we don't suffer or when we provide so much for ourselves that we don't have to depend on God, it's easy to be sedated to the things of God. When we live in a culture that tells us, and I noticed this the other day, when you, you may not notice right now because I got my glasses on so it covers it up pretty well, but I'm getting crow's feet. It's happening, it comes for us all. But here's the thing, and this is not a knock, and please don't take offense to this, um, but it's just the culture we live in. My culture tells me, do whatever I can to get rid of those crow's feet. 
right? If I got to use lotion, if I got to Botox, if I got to do whatever, do whatever I need to do in order to have a more youthful look. Here's the challenge with that. My body breaking down and even those crow's feet remind me that I wasn't created for this world. That I have a new body that's on, the, that's on layway right now, right? And, and, so, and so here's the thing. When we find ourselves, and again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm an advocate for being healthy and, and I'm an advocate for uh, you know, keeping in shape and all of those things. But the reality is there is something to getting up out of bed this morning like I did and going, I got to go to the bathroom and the first couple steps feel like this right? It reminds me that this body isn't all that there is. And so we have to be reminded, like this passage reminded me, how can we want to foretaste the future glory? How can we long? How can we groan for the future if we make things so comfortable for us in this life? We won't groan. We'll just be like, hey, this is good. Life is good. In fact, I would venture to say that most of you are like me. We live in such comfort in this culture. And again, I'm not, I'm gonna circle back to kind of helping us wrestle with this in a moment. But I wanna put this out there so that we can really understand what the parable is reminding us of. In some cultures, the suffering is so great and the poverty is so great. They long for glory today. And for most of us, I'll put myself in this category. I'm like, God, please. I know my days are numbered. You got that number, whatever it is. But can you just wait till I get to see my kids get married? Can you wait till I get to see grandkids potentially? Can you wait till Dan and I can be rocking by each other at, you know, after 50 plus years of marriage? talking about what you've done in our lives. That's incredible privilege to be able to think that way. And it's a heavy responsibility that we get to think that way. And it should be a warning to us of how easy it is to not follow the things of God, but to simply follow the comfort and wealth of this world. So, thirdly, why does it challenge us? Well, this is a really strange world. Let me tell you how strange it is. There are eight, over 8 billion people that live in our world right now. 719 million live on less than $2.15 a day. This is a strange world that we can sit here in a beautiful sanctuary, that we can sit here having gone through our closets most likely to pick out what outfit we wanted to wear, that we can sit here and find ourselves wrestling with this. 1.2 
billion people in 111 developing countries live in what's called multi-dimensional poverty. That means you know, you're taking multi-different uh, things, not just how much they make, but where they live and clothes and all these different things, multi-dimensional poverty. That's not 19% of the world's population. 593 um, um, million people, uh, I'm sorry, uh, of those, 11.1 million are, of those are children. 331 million people in the U.S. live in poverty. I'm sorry, 331 million people in the, uh, there are in the U.S., 11.6% or 37 million of those live below the poverty line. So 37 million people lay at our gates. 37 million people. Now, again, this is where all the, the things happen. You hear that number like, yeah, but, but you know, there, there's some people choose that and some people do this and some people do that. And, so, and there's all this nuance that I'm just letting you know. And the parable is teaching a warning to us to have our eyes open, to have our ears open. And why this is so challenging is that we want clarity. If you were here last week, we talked a bit about this. What must I do to be saved? When it comes to this discussion about wealth and about the poor, so many of us, that's where our heads go. What must I do? What is the bare minimum? Like, what is it that I've got to do to make sure that, that I enter into eternity? What is it that I have to do to make sure that I'm not held, um, you know, responsible for, for turning a blind eye to the poor, for, for, for falling asleep and, and, and being just comfortable in my wealth and my comfort? Well, here's four things that I want to encourage you to do. The first one is this. Wrestle with wealth and comfort. Wrestle with it. Don't just receive it. Don't just live it out. Wrestle with it. Don't politicize it. Wrestle with it. This is actually, see, here's the challenge is that some of you are hearing this message and you're like, this is a message of guilt and shame. This is not a message of guilt and shame. It's a message of warning. When your child's little and they're running towards the street and you tell them about the consequences of running towards the street or going out in the street where cars are coming, you don't look at them and go, man, they don't look back and go, you're guilting me and shaming me. No, you're warning them because there's consequences. And we have blind spots, just like the child running down the street only sees their ball, they don't see the oncoming cars. Wealth and comfort can be the ball that we're chasing and we never see the car. So we should wrestle with this idea of wealth and comfort. And when necessary, repent. Say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for making this my aim. Forgive me for making these things in my life idols. God, I repent Forgive me. I want to live my life for you. The second thing that we should think about is ask how. Not just wrestle with it, but ask how. How do we be faithful followers of Jesus in a strange world? How do we be faithful followers of Jesus in a country that provides so much comfort and wealth to us? How do we 
be faithful followers of Jesus and recognize that we have been warned. One way is that as the body of Christ, we begin to ask ourselves, what does it look like to care for the Lazaruses at our gate? It's why we have a food pantry. It's why we encourage kids from a very early age to begin recognizing that they're gonna be raised in a culture of wealth and comfort. And the warning is for all of us. And so teaching them at an early age to have eyes to see and ears to hear and heart of compassion for the Lazaruses at our gate. Ask how. How do we do that as the body of Christ? And, and this is where I think we should be challenged, how am I doing that personally? See, it's really easy to say, well, I go to New Life and they have a pantry and they take care of the Lazaruses at the gate and I don't really have to do that. So, so I'll just kind of let New Life do that. No, I think it's a both and. I think it's how do we do that as a body of Christ because we're able to reach way, you would probably never be able to minister to 130 different families in Guadalupe if you weren't a part of the body of Christ. But you can also minister to your neighbor. You can also minister to those that you see when there are lazaruses at your gate. Which leads to the third thing, holistic engagement. The rich man didn't just not provide financially for Lazarus. He didn't just not provide food. He knew his name and ignored him. There are people within our community that, that it's easy, not just, not just that with, like God wants us going out and handing out just financial assistance to everyone, but do you even know their name? Do you recognize that they, are, they are, have been created as an image bearer of God? That, what's the relational and the social component as well? What are the things that we are doing in order to recognize and to um, bring in the Lazaruses that, at our, that are at our gate? It's challenging. And we should wrestle with that. What are we doing socially? What are we doing financially? What are we doing in terms of our health care and providing and things of that? These are all things we should wrestle with. And I know some of us are going, well, just tell me what I got to do to be saved. No, the parable is designed for us to wrestle with it and seek and ask the Holy Spirit, God, will you help me, teach me, order my steps, which is the final one. Humility, humility. And I'm gonna say it this way. Name the tension or name the mixture inside of you. What do I mean by that? There is a tension or there's a mixture when you follow Jesus in our current culture to want to be generous, but also to want what we want. So have the humility to recognize that mixture. Maybe it was I, because I was preparing for this message. I don't know. I had to take my daughter down to a dentist or an orthodontist office that was down in Santa Maria. And I was down there and I had about two hours to kill. And so I went over to the mall because I know that there's a red robin there. And in that red robin, they serve. It's not quite as good as when you go into Ohio and get this, but they serve what's called Donato's Pizza there, right? And Donato's is in Ohio. And so I was down there. I'm like, I'm gonna go get myself a Donato's Pizza. And so I go and I park my car 
And uh, as I'm walking out of the, the car garage and getting ready to enter the mall, I walk past this individual who's a homeless person that asked if I have any change, and I didn't have any change or bills on me. So I, I told him no, and I continued to walk in, and I go in, and I order my Donato's pizza, and it smelled so good. And I sat down just outside the Red Robin because uh, I knew I had some time, and I began to eat about half of that pizza. And I'm packing it up afterwards, and, I'm, and I go, this is gonna be so good later. And then as I pick it up and I start walking, I'm like, oh, what if that homeless person's still there? And I thought, well, maybe he won't be and I'll get to eat my Donato pizza at home. <laughs> but I have been studying this passage, so maybe that's why the other thought came out of my mind, Lord, if, you, if he's still there, then I will give it to him. Now, this sounds really stupid and simple, but this is what it looks like to have humility and wrestle with the tension within us. I didn't want to give away my Donatos, as stupid as that sounds. I didn't. I wanted to go home and I wanted to heat it up later and I wanted to eat it because I never usually get to get it and I wanted it. But the reality is, is that when I went home, if I decided I didn't want my Donato's that night, I had a cupboard full of food and a refrigerator full of food, and it wasn't can I eat tonight, it's what do I want to eat tonight. And so I pass, across the crosswalk, and I'm entering in, and I don't see him, and I'm like, Whew. But he was just standing on the second step. And so I passed by again. He said, do you have any change? He didn't recognize me. I recognized him as the man that I had saw earlier. And I said, I don't have any change or cash, but I do have the rest of this pizza. Would you want that? And he said, yeah, I, would, I want that. That'd be awesome. And I know that's such a silly thing. But that's the world we live in. And that's the warning of this parable. That we should recognize the tension within us. It's not wealth is bad. It's not that comfort is bad. It's that wealth and comfort, if we don't recognize it, will lull us to sleep from the thing to the things of God will sedate us so we don't even feel the things of God, will make us think that we are actually God. And if you don't heed the warning, if you don't heed the warning, there will be a day. And when you're standing face to face with your Lord, say, I didn't know you. You knew the things of this world. You knew the idols of this world, but you did not know me. And the warning is, woe to us. Woe to us. Be careful. Heed the warning. Wrestle with it. Have humility and seek the Lord's guidance as we wrestle with these things. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, this, these are hard words to us. And yet, 
They are a gift to us because they call us to repentance. They call us to have our eyes open and our ears open. They are a warning to us. So God, we thank you for the gift of this warning. May we see it and receive it, not as guilt and shame, but as a gift to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new with us today, man, what a challenging message to hear for the first time, right? <laughs> if you're, but we'd also love to just meet you, to pray with you. Man, if the Lord's stirring something, we, this is one of the things that we say on a regular basis. Before you leave, take a breath and ask the Holy Spirit, are you done speaking with me today? And if you are, go Sabbath well together. And if you sense the Holy Spirit has more to speak to you about, we have a prayer team down here that would love to pray with you, encourage you, tell you how you can follow Jesus Um, and deeper and richer ways. As you go today, may you have eyes to see and may you have ears to hear the Lazaruses at your gate. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week. Whatever the distance or darkness, you're with me, you're with me. Whenever I'm failing or falling, you've got me, you've got me.
Hey! 
covers Lazy mornings They multiply Glory's waiting Outside your window Wake on up from your slumber They open up your eyes Tongues are violent Personal and focused Tough to be with your steady mind Hearts are stronger And broken Wake on up from your slumber They open up your eyes On the table, just enough to get by. All the while, your invitation. Wait on up from your slumber, baby. Open up for your eyes. Wait on up from your slumber, baby. Open up for your eyes. Take from vandals all you. Don't trade it in for life. Replace your fever with the fable. Wake on up from your slumber, baby. Open up your eyes. Wake on up from your slumber, baby. Open up your eyes. All these victims standing alive for comes that fall from the table. Just enough to give by.
in me you're always pursuing 